Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Your notes are on the back of your bulletin where you'll see the overview of the book of John, and I want to start there. We begin with the overview. Number one, the background of the writer. Now, volumes have been written about John, so we're just going to take a few paragraphs here to introduce the author, writer. John grew up in a family fishing business and was known for his passion and at times his temper. But upon meeting Jesus, the apostle soon left his family business, uh, loving relatives, lifelong friends, and the comforts of home to become one of the best known and most beloved disciples who would spend the next three years with Jesus, being taught and trained to pursue the spreading of the gospel for the rest of his long life. He would experience great suffering and persecution along the way for his faith in Jesus, but he would know the purpose and passion for which God had called him to, like few others ever do in their lives. John was a close friend and confidant of Jesus, Scripture reveals that he was one of the three that were on what's called the inner ring of the disciples, the Lord's ministry. All four Gospels regularly refer to the band of three men, Peter, James, and John, regularly uh, getting away with Jesus and getting to see things that perhaps the others didn't get to see or experience. One example of this special access that uh, these three guys had, including John, was their witnessing of Jesus' transfiguration on the mount. Do you remember that story? What an amazing thing when Jesus kind of pulled back the curtain of his glory just to give a glimpse of what it was like. John saw that and never forgot what he saw that day. John, as you may know, was given a front row seat to the crucifixion of the Savior just yards from the cross. And he was bestowed the awesome task of ministering to the Lord's mother for the rest of her life as he looked down upon John and he said, Behold your mother. And then he looked at Mary, his mother, and said, Behold your son. He united them together. And no doubt John took great lengths to honor uh, that promise that the Lord had given him. His deep friendship with Christ was further evidenced by the term that he used five times in the gospel the disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, Jesus loved all the disciples perfectly, but the term suggests that the disciple was given a weighty call upon his life. And certainly, Scripture bears that out as we go into this. John was called to do something very special. An interesting side note, in a great yet humble way, John waited until the final verses of the gospel to reveal that he was the subject of that statement, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You don't really, if you read it for the first time through, he uses that statement five times, but you don't know who it is. You have to wait all the way till chapter 21 and deep into 21, right at the end where he uh, announces that he's the disciple that Jesus loved. He felt Christ's love in a very special and deep way. 
As you probably know now, John, the 80-year-old senior citizen, was given the honor of being caught up to heaven to be in the direct presence of Jesus once more as he penned the words and the history of how this world will end when he wrote Revelation, his final writing and his final book. And what was John's response to this glorious reunion but to fall down at his feet overwhelmed at the opportunity of getting to worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, his friend. It's important to remember that while John was given this special calling, believers are all equally loved by the Lord, and one day we'll all get to finally experience the endless and overwhelming depths of Jesus' love for those who have placed their trust in him face to face. So in our overview, number one, we see the background of the writer. And number two, the date of the writing. The date of the writing. Scholars, most scholars believe that the date of writing was somewhere around 85 A.D., between 80 and as high as 88 A.D. And if this is correct, then this puts John at the time of the writing somewhere in his early 70s. Number three in the overview of John, we see the purpose of the writing. The purpose of the writing. The purpose of the letter is plainly given to us by John's own words, clear back in chapter 20, verse 31, but all the way throughout this text, and we're going to point this out uh, just about every single Sunday. In chapter 20, verse 31, he gives us the purpose. But these, we're talking about the words, the the writings, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That was the purpose of the book. Unlike the first three synoptic gospels, John is not concerned with laying out a chronological history of the birth and life of, of the Lord Jesus prior to his ministry years. John's calling, as directed by the Holy Spirit, was to answer two unique and primary questions. Let me give them to you this morning. He wanted to answer, who is Jesus? And then secondly, he wanted to answer, what does he want? The disciple wastes no time in jumping into answering these two paramount questions. They're paramount because the eternal destination of every human soul, heaven or hell, lies in how they answer these two questions. There are many key verses in this book which answer these two questions. And I had a hard time just you know, trying to keep it to five or six verses that I wanted to give you. There could have been 50 easily, but here's the five or six that I chose. Who is Jesus? Well, He's the Father's Word come to us in the flesh, John writes. Look down at verse 1, and then we'll skip to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's John 1 and verse 14. We find the story of when Jesus 
pulls back the curtain of his true glory for Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when John experienced that, he was never the same. So who is Jesus? Well, we also learn from John that he's the only begotten son of the Father. We know the verse, John 3.16, contains both who is Jesus and what does he want. Number one, we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Begotten son means uniquely born son. There's no one that has ever or will ever be born like Jesus was of a virgin. And then here's what he wants, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That answers who is Jesus and what does he want? He wants life for you with him in a place called heaven with his father. So why did Jesus come into the world? Well, here's another answer to that, to provide eternal security for us. Here's John 10, 28, another another key verse. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in the grip of Jesus Christ. That's the best place to be. Jesus came to bring us his life, which will never end. This is another key verse over in John 11. Jesus came to bring us his life which will never end. Jesus said to her, he's talking to Martha now, now Lazarus, her brother, is in the grave and she's weeping. She knows that she's not going to see her brother again. He's passed on. And so she's weeping next to Jesus and she's frustrated that Jesus didn't get there in time to save him. She doesn't know what's about to happen. She hasn't read the book at this point. Hasn't been written. So like you and I, we would be weeping for our brother or our sister at the graveside, no doubt. But this is what, how Jesus comforts her. He asks, uh, they have this brief discussion, and she, he says, hey, I'm eternal life. And she says, I know that he has eternal life, and one day he'll be raised from the dead. But Jesus says this, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He comforts her with that word. Not only that, but Jesus came to show us the exclusivity of his Father's salvation. Jesus, in talking to Thomas, right before he goes down to be arrested in the upper room, having the first communion, Thomas is still a little confused about all of this, as all 12 of them are at this point. And, And Thomas blurts out, Show us the Father. I just need to see Him, and then I'll believe. Jesus said to Thomas, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You've got it. Jesus said, You've got to come through me. There's no other way. There's no other religion on this planet that can save you. Jesus saves alone, He is unique. Jesus came to show us a picture of His Father in heaven. As he continues to talk to Philip, he says, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Well, here's the final key verse, and this one has always been very powerful for me because it sums up why Jesus came to earth. The final key verse I want to show you, and here's some context. Jesus uh, is having a conversation with Pilate, the Roman governor, 
who is about to uh, cast sentence upon him. And Pilate's having this feeling that this isn't right. He hasn't done anything to deserve the punishment, crucifixion, that these Jews want to enforce. And so he's having a problem with that, and they claim to Pilate, hey, he claimed to be a king. We only have one king, Caesar. So Pilate pulls him into a private place and questions Jesus. And Jesus responds to him. Here's verse uh, John 18, 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly, for I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Here it is. He's going to tell you why he came, that I should bear witness to the truth. Who's the truth? All truth comes from God. Jesus said, I came to bear witness to my Father in heaven. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Denoting to Pilate, you're not going to get this because you don't hear my voice. Ultimately, Jesus came into humanity to provide an in-person witness of all the Father has declared and the truth to all who would hear His voice and obey it. In the Old Testament, God had sent His Word through various people, largely prophets, but now we learn that God chose a brilliant way in which to convey His truth, His grace, His mercy, His love to all of His creation through the sending of His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, He would send His Son in to declare the Word. And that's why He's called the Word. Up to the first century A.D., God had used angels and men to tell His story. But now He would send His own kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, with an in-person message for the entire world. And John was chosen by God to tell this amazing and fascinating tale. On December 17, 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright made their first flight of an airplane at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. On their fifth attempt, the plane landed, or the plane uh, flew for 12 seconds, piloted by Orville. Wilbur rushed to the local telegraph office and sent the following two-sentence message. Here the, here's the two-sentence. Number one, we have flown for 12 seconds. Number two, he's writing this to his sister, we will be home for Christmas. <laughs> Upon receiving the telegram, their sister Catherine went to the newspaper office. She was so excited. They had actually flown for 12 seconds. And she told the editor of her brother's new flying machine and informed him they would be home for Christmas. And if he would like, she could set up an interview with the boys. Well, the editor told her that was nice, and he would be sure to put something in the newspaper regarding these young lads. On December 19th, the local paper placed the following headline on the sixth page of the paper. And this is what it said. Wright Brothers, home for Christmas. <laughs> that plane flew for 12 seconds, but it included flying over the editor's head. He missed out on the greatest story that, that had ever happened to that point, I think. The most important story of the decade, man's first flight, and he didn't even comprehend it. Totally missed it. 
Well, listen, we don't want to miss Jesus today, so let's cast our attention upon the Word of God and the Scripture. Look down at your Bible as we begin to read in John chapter 1, verse 1. We've looked at the who, what, where, and when of the Word, so now I want to look at the why of the Word. Here's the why. Why must this story be told? That's what I want to answer for the rest of our time here. Why do we need this gospel? Well, number one in your notes, because our dark world needs God's light of hope. All you have to do is turn on your television and watch the news for 10 seconds to realize this world's in a lot of trouble. It's in a lot of trouble. And we need the light to turn on. You know, the problem is with humanity is they like to live. We like to live as sinners in a dark world. We don't want somebody turning the light on. We just as soon do our stuff in the darkness. But the Word came. Jesus came to turn the light on. And then the world needs God's light of hope. Let's look down at verse 1 now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Another, way, another word for comprehend is to overcome it, so that the darkness did not overcome the light. Apart from God's light, our world is literally in darkness. Scientists reveal that darkness is the absence of light. Light changes our environment from darkness to illumination. Light reveals the truth to an otherwise dark surrounding. Maybe this morning you've come to church and you sense your need for God. You sense your, uh, your need for this illumination in your life. Well, let me tell you, you've come to the right place at the right time. Are you battling addiction? Run to this light. Are you fighting depression? God's Word has something to say about that. Are you facing a tragedy in your relationship? Run to His light. Are you overcome with fear or looking for some wisdom with a decision you need to make? Run to God's light and you will find that He illuminates the darkness in your heart, your mind, and your soul. Listen, there's no instrument or device which spreads darkness. Did you know that? Mankind came up with this thing that you push a button and light comes out of it. For some of you, this is news, but that's okay. We call it a flashlight. You can get them at Home Depot. But do you know what? There's no device that when you push the button, it spreads darkness. Because darkness is just the absence of light, right? So we need to run to the Scripture, open our Bibles, and lean not unto our own understanding, but rather upon the truth and the promises given to us by the Light of the world, Jesus Christ came to spread light and the good news of salvation. History records for us an interesting footnote. Um, I, I love history. I got C's to play football because that was the minimum you could get to play football. But when I went to history class, I got A's and B's. I love history. I love the history of America, especially the Civil War. I'm very interested in and, and uh, read about, and we've been back there to, on some of the battlefields and really enjoyed our time back there. I just love the Civil War. 
On a dark, cold night in 1864, Civil War has been going for four years now, at Petersburg, Virginia, the Confederate Army of Robert E. Lee faced the Union Division of General Ulysses S. Grant. The war was now three and a half years old, and the glorious dreams of a quick victory had long since given way to the muck and the mud of trench warfare and hand-to-hand combat that is so brutally ugly. Late one evening, one of Lee's generals, Major General George Pickett, received word that his wife had given birth to a beautiful baby boy. Up and down the line, the Southerners began to build huge bonfires in celebration of the event. These fires did not go unnoticed in the northern camps, and soon a nervous Grant sent out a reconnaissance team to find out what was going on over there. Well, the scouts returned with this message that Pickett had a new son, and these were celebratory fires on the other side. It so happened that Grant and Pickett had been contemporaries at West Point. They had studied war together, side by side, not understanding that one day they would stand in opposition to one another. They knew each other very well. So to honor the occasion, Grant, on the north, too, ordered that the the bonfire should be built by his soldiers as well to congratulate Pickett. What a peculiar night this was. For miles on both sides, of the battle lines, fires burned, but no shots were heard. No yelling back and forth, and no hostilities between armies, only light celebrating the birth of a child on both sides. For a few moments, there was peace. For a few moments, there was a smile on their faces, and they forgot about the war for just a few minutes. Soon the fires burned down, and once again the darkness took over. The darkness of the night and the darkness of the Cold War. The story of the birth of our Savior is that in the midst of a great darkness, there came a great light, and the darkness was not able to overcome it. And while the the darkness overcame the battle of the Civil War once more, When Jesus came and he came to to spread his light and shine his light, it would never go out. It was not just a temporary flicker of a bonfire. It was and still is an eternal flame, and we need to remember that. When the night begins to close in in our mind and our hearts sometimes, we forget that Jesus is the light, and it's him we need to run to. Let's look down at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Listen, there are times in the events of the world and in the events of our lives that we feel like the the light is burned out. There are moments when it just seems like we're in the dark sometimes when something happens. It can be so disheartening. But John's message affirms that whatever happens, God's light is still here and it's still shining. 
The light of Christ is eternal, and the darkness will never overcome it. And if you've come here this morning fresh out of hope, you've come to the right place. God's hope is still available a little while longer. The window is still open to salvation. God's hope is still available, but don't put it off. Jesus is coming back soon, or you could go out into eternity at any moment. I tell people regularly, it's too dangerous to leave this building without Christ. Don't do it. If you, if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't surrendered and made Him Lord and Savior of a life, it's too dangerous to go out of this building. Make a decision today. More on that in just a moment. That's why the story needs to be told, my friends. Because others need to hear it. And because in doing so, they will hear your story and it will impact their life. Why do we do uh, testimonies before we do baptism? Each person, before they get into the baptistry, reads a testimony of their life, of how Christ impacted their life. Why? Because somebody is likely to stand out there that doesn't know Christ and say, wow, I didn't know that. Man, I'm messed up too, just like him, but God gave him a new life. I want that new life. And you hear that every once in a while. Someone comes up and they say, hey, I got saved at the baptism that we did last year where we had all those people come and get baptized. Remember that? People came and later on said, it was a testimony of that young lady or it was a testimony of this guy that overcame alcohol that really got in my mind and stuck with me. You need to tell your story because God's given you a unique story that somebody else needs to hear. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.